You are now listening to The Jason D'Amico Show. Greetings, folks. Welcome back to The Jason D'Amico Show. And it is great to be back. Uh, We are filming like crazy via Zoom during these COVID-19 strange times uh, in the world and in the music industry. I've got a very special guest for you. This guy and I go way back. uh, And this is actually the first time we're speaking quote-unquote face-to-face, uh, which is pretty interesting. We'll, we'll get more into that in a little bit. But our guest is the co-founder and lead technician of Neat Audio, which is a team of audio technology and artist liaison experts committed to servicing the artist's every need regarding studio and touring gear. And uh, they've got a vast array of services, which – He'll get into playback rigs, IM packages, wireless packages, backline equipment, uh, some notable touring acts. You guys may have heard of them, 21 Pilots, NF, Post Malone, and, and many more. Please welcome to the show my good friend, Mr. TJ Beachill. Hey, thanks for having me. And once again, just the shock value of finally seeing you face-to-face talking. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is what, eight years in the making and maybe, you know, 100, 500 plus conversations down the road. I don't know. It's cool. It's great to be here. And thanks for having me, man. Well, we, uh, and, and likewise, thanks so much for taking the time. And we've, uh, for those of you who obviously don't know, because uh, TJ and I've had many, many phone calls, as he alluded (laughs) to, uh, back in the Sweetwater days uh, when I was getting my studio built. And uh, this guy is... And obviously, the resume speaks for itself, but one of the best in the business by far. Um, and he's he's just excellent in everything that he does. Really honored to have him on the show. Thanks, man. Uh, well, hey, man, let's get into your beginning stages. I usually kind of open up the show with that, uh, sure. unless things meander in a different direction. But uh, just curious to see how, how you got into music, uh, how you got into audio like pro audio um and how you got to kind of where you are now but just curious absolutely so it the love affair for music starts for me at a really young age um my uncle and my father both were really big into hi-fi systems from their childhood i mean Mm. you know they grew up in the 60s 70s and uh they had really impressive home audio systems. So we were always as kids listening to music at relatively loud volumes, <laughs> to really, really nice speakers. Uh, my uncle, if, if you're an audio guy and you want to look it up, he had two pairs of infinity RF 4.5s RS 4.0. I think it's RF 4.5s and he cut them in half and he stacked them. It was like eight, you know, 12 inch woofers and those all ribbon mid range. They're called emittens and emits. Long story short, you know, it was a big thing. Every night we would go and turn on music and we would dance. So like I had this love affair with like loud music and listening to music every single day. Um, that led into, you know, my parents were also musical. My dad was, you know, played guitar and, um, my mom played clarinet, whatever, but I mean, it was a very musical family and I was lucky to be raised in a house that encouraged it. So, uh, we had several music stores, you know, in the town next to us. So my dad, when I turned, you know, 10 or whatever, he broke out, he had a 1970s, uh, Les Paul 
Cobby. It was called Bentley. They got sued for making Les Paul custom reissues, but he's like, Hey, maybe, maybe my son will have an interest in this. Um, so I started playing guitar and then we go to, you know, Mars music at the time guitar center and we start buying it, everything, you know, we bought guitars, drums, basses, microphones, you know, I had a full stack. <laughs> I had uh, I mean, we had a ridiculous collection of instruments. I was always around it. And this is like a very interesting turn into, and I'm sorry, this is a long answer, but kind of, a, no, so it's okay. It starts explaining this. Um, when I was 15 years old, my dad, my dad is a hack of a guitar player. Love you dad, but it's not good. But the, the thing he always taught me is you have to have the right tool for the job. He right. always wanted to buy an instrument that inspired him to play. Uh, you're a player. You get that. Every time you get a new piece of gear, like when you got your Kemper, you wanted to go through and replay oh my everything God. you've ever played. Dude, I'm still – and, and at, exa- let me pause real quick. Yeah, you, uh, you told me when I, when I bought that, you're like, yeah, you're going to be playing with this. You can be playing with this thing for years, and you won't even get through like 10 15% of what you can do on it. It's yeah. true. It is so stupid true. Anyway. Yeah. But I mean, to have equipment that inspires you to play is huge. So that was kind of his thing. Uh, so one day we went to, there's a place in Toledo, Ohio called Peeler Music. My dad wanted to buy a Taylor 914. It's a $5,000 acoustic. Ridiculous yep. for a guy who knows five chords. But <laughs> <laughs> they told us, okay, yeah, we don't really stock these. You're going to have to go to, you know, a different music store and they pointed us at Sweetwater. Um, and we lived in a cornfield in Lausanne, Ohio. So we're like, all right, we're going to go to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and we're going to go, you know, check out these guitars. So we drove over to Sweetwater. This was, like I said, when I was, you know, this is 15 years ago. They were in a small little shop at the time, but we went there and it was like the coolest music store I'd ever been to. And then they walked me through the recording studio and the recording studio is a massive console. And, you know, it looks super cool. I looked at my dad and I'm like, I want to work there. And literally from the age of 15, uh, I told myself, I'm going to work at Sweetwater Sound when I graduate. Cause you know, I can work in the recording studio and they have guitars and like, it was just this thing. Um, so as it progressed, like through high school, I started like my first multi-effects pedal was called a Digitech GNX3 and it had a solid state recorder built into it with like the you know SD card. So I literally was recording everything I was playing. I could put in backing tracks, I could record to it. And then I would take that pedal because it had two microphone inputs in it as well. Uh, and I would take and I would literally record my marching band in high school through the guitar effects processor. And then I would sell those CDs to the kids in high school so they could have all of the stuff that we were playing in high school. Uh, real primitive stuff now, if you, if you think about it. Right. Um, but uh, it got to the point where, you know, college was in question and I was going to go to Bowling Green in an Ohio school for business um, and then try to get in at Sweetwater. My brother's a professor at, or uh, he's a president of a university here in town called the University of St. Francis. Um, we're in the same town as Sweetwater. And Sweetwater puts on this music tech program. And I'm an awful student. I mean, trash. The fact that any college ever accepted me. Um, but this <laughs> private Catholic university starts up a music technology program 
through Sweetwater to specifically funnel, you know, guys that go into their program into the music industry and also into Sweetwater. Um, so my brother calls me, he's like, Hey man, you have to come to the school. I was like, dude, I had like, I think I had like a 2.6 or whatever. I had a horrible GPA in high school. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, if you can get me accepted there, great. But I don't know what happened, but I was, I was accepted. I had to go on like academic probation. So they, you know, kept me pretty close to the, you know, fire there for a while. But, um, Lo and behold, I go to school for music production. I double majored. It was music production and technology and then music business. And it was the first wave of like now every single college in the world has a music tech program, right? right? When I was right. doing it, it was like Full Sail in Berkeley. We're like in MI Music in California. I mean, there were a lot at the time. So we were at that first wave of like going to get a music technology degree. Um, and so I go, I do the whole, you know, four years of college and I get into production and studio work. And then I'm like, okay, so what am I going to do? I intern at the recording studio at Sweetwater for a year and I love it. But I also see the writing on the walls. Like I'm in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I am not in the music Mecca. I'm not in Nashville. I'm not in New York, I'm not California. I'm not even a big city, you know? So I saw an opportunity in sales to work around the gear that I have loved so much and be able to talk to fellow musicians and studio guys and gear guys. Um, so I was like, sales is where it's at. I can make money doing this and I can just talk shop all day. So right. let's go do that. And then it's, it's funny kind of like, I'm sorry, this is a long answer, but no, man, listen, this show is totally free form. Yeah. It's kind of fun too. I've actually never told this story in a public forum before. So it's, it's a fun transition. <laughs> um, How about it? But so I started working at Sweetwater literally the day after I graduate uh, college. It was two days later. I graduated on like wow. a Saturday and I literally sat down at the desk on Monday. Um, so I start working at Sweetwater and I'm like, uh, I want to focus on studio guys. Uh, Cause that was like, that's, that was my gig. You know, I knew studio equipment. I knew that environment. I knew how to, you know, sell for today, but plan for tomorrow. I was always telling, I, I know I told you this is like always yep. buy equipment that is going to get you what you need right now, but let's not forget that that's not where you're going to be, you know, two months from now. So 100%. always buy it. Yep. So that conversation happened and, um, I, I was like, how do I find these clients? So I, I instantly turned to social media. I was young at the time. I was like, I was probably the youngest employee at Sweetwater at the time because prior to the whole music technology wave to get a job at Sweetwater, you had to come in there with, a lot of experience either off the road or coming from a studio. They started hiring, you know, the young, you know, the younger generation cause we have the music tech degree, if you will. Yeah. Um, so I, I literally, I'm like, okay, I'm on Instagram looking at filters and uh, your hashtags, whatever. And yeah. I'm like, Hey, studio guys, these are how I find my clients. So I tell Sweetwater's like, you guys need to create an Instagram account. And they're like, why? And they're like, trust me, just do this. Literally. I started their Instagram page for it. Wow. Um, and this like spiraled into, meeting different networks, right? Sorry, right. I'm going to play with my hair a lot. Today's like the first day I've not wore a hat in probably two months. Um, but anyway, I, you know, I did the studio thing. I, I was building recording studios and helping clients in the studio side of things for a long time. But one night, my wife and I uh, bored just watching TV at night. We're watching MTV, something I like still find hilarious to this day because I don't watch a lot of TV and I don't watch MTV. <laughs> but uh, this is 2012. Um, and they're doing some like bands to watch, you know, award show. I don't know what it was, but uh, 21 pilots comes out on stage and this is 
2012, at the very end of 2012 or beginning of 2013, one of the two. Um, and they come out and my wife and I are like, these guys are weird. We've never heard of them. We've never seen them. This is like just my first blip into their world. Yeah. And uh, I go to Sweetwater the next day. I'm like, I wonder if we work with them, like as clients. Uh, and I, you know, like Google their names, like Google their crew to try to figure out who's working with the band at the time. And nobody was there uh, in our database at Sweetwater. So I send a Facebook message out to their front of house engineer. Um, his name is Ben. And I said, hey, my name is TJ. I work at Sweetwater. Uh, saw your show last night. Would love to work with you guys. And boom, it's like, all of a sudden we started talking. He started relying on me heavily for all their equipment. And it was like right when stressed out, you know, who just crossed 2 billion streams on YouTube. I think, you know, this past week. When, when, was, did, that, when did that come out again? I think it was 2013. Uh, I can't believe it's been seven years since that came out. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking, yeah, stressed out is, God, I should know this. Yeah, that's a vessel. I, I can, let me, here, I'll, I'll Google it. You can, let me, I'll, I'll check. I, yeah. I just can't, this, the past decade is just, it's like a blur. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking it's either vessel or blurry face, but it, regardless, when I started working with them, it was right at the like beginning of their peak. And I'm sorry to keep bringing them up as a reference, but this will all come. 20, full 2015. 2015. Okay. So I was working with them before stressed out came out then. Okay. Uh, it was, it was the vessel album that they were on at the time, but they started, you know, getting notoriety. They started like blowing up in mainstream media. Um, but they were touring all the time. I mean, that band literally never stopped. Um, right. and the cool part is they started relying on me pretty heavily for, you know, other gear purchases. But the thing that made everything turn in my entire life, and I say that not loosely, uh, cause it changed everything for me was uh, they needed a playback rig. They called me one night and they were, they were out on tour with Fall Out Boy and Panic at the Disco. And the subwoofers on stage had shaken Josh, the drummer's computer into safety mode because that's back when computers had spinning hard drives and discs in them. Um, and it shut their show down. So they wow. called me and they're like, we need a playback rig. We need this to work. So I spent some time with Ben, their front of house engineer, and Josh, the drummer, who was also like their Ableton guy. Uh, and we built this playback rig. Well, you know, there was only two guys in the band that understood how it worked. It was Josh and then Ben. Ben left the band. And as a result, I was like the only one in the crew that understood how the rig worked. And they relied heavily on me to like come out and fix everything. So this started me touring, uh, you know, just weekend things. Right. Um, but as a result of being out on the road with them for the weekends, they would start introducing me to other bands that they were touring with. So right this network, which I had really no like experience in. I was not a touring guy. I like, I had been in a band, but I'd never toured. I've never mixed a live show in my life. Um, but we started doing this whole playback thing. And as I start touring, Jason, what I'm realizing is like, when I go out to Nashville, uh, you know, mind you, I'm, I'm a Sweetwater guy, right? I'm mm -hmm. in Nashville and it's a Saturday and I need equipment. I have nowhere to go because there's not a lot of music stores and there's no one to talk to. I was kind of like stuck. I'm like, I need a Sweetwater rep, right? So I saw a void in the market. I saw an opportunity that these touring guys don't really have someone to like constantly lean on. Right. So literally it wasn't, it wasn't an overnight decision necessarily, but it was like a very quick realization that there's a massive market for the touring community that doesn't exist um, to have this like 24 seven artist liaison to lean on. So I started switching my database from like your hobbyist guitar players and, you know, 
home studios to touring guys. And I focused on it for six years. It was 2013 to 2018, 19 when I left. Um, and over those six years, I accrued a, you know, a client list of 300 national touring acts that leaned on me for everything. And they could call me at three o'clock in the morning and on a Sunday and I would pick up. My clients are not used to calling me and not having me pick up within the first you know, couple rings. And I've dedicated my life to opening an avenue for them to be able to just not have to worry about acquiring gear. They just like, Hey, I'm just going to call him. I don't care what time of day it is. He's going to pick up, he's going to handle it so they can get back onto their lives. You know? Yeah. Um, and like I said, it was like getting into playback rigs that I was like, okay, I can specialize this because every single band needs one. I think Ryan Adams is the only client I've ever worked with out of the 300 that does not have a playback rig. They are all analog. They don't even have wireless mics. They plug in. Everything is hardwired. Um, but every other artist that I've worked with, they're like, yeah, I mean, we could use a playback rig or yes, I could use playback rig to control the, you know, the guitar player's pedal yep. board. So he doesn't have to run across the stage, to turn on a delay or a boost for his solo, whatever. Um, so I spent, you know, almost every weekend of my life for six years, I'd work nine to five Monday through Friday. And then when Friday night hit, I was gone. I was either in Chicago, I was in Michigan, Detroit, St. Louis, you know, New York, California, Nashville. And I was bouncing around doing 80 some shows a year while maintaining my Sweetwater gig. Um, then it kind of like breaks down to a point what, two years ago where I just had so many clients asking me to come out on the road or being more available to them and I couldn't balance the two. Some investors stepped forward and created an opportunity for me to build Neat as it is today to exist. Right. So I'm pretty much doing the same thing that I was doing at Sweetwater, but now I can work from home and I can travel wherever and whenever I want with no limitations. So, uh, sorry, that was an incredibly long answer. No, that's a great. That's a great answer. Uh, and it, yeah. So it's it's really specific for it is the it's a similar format to how when you were working at Sweetwater, like you said, but it's just more specific for those those specialty you know high hi-fi setups or just you know <laughs> yeah it's it turned into like you know i obviously can't do every single thing because i'm not like a vendor i don't like have inventory of gear but i have relationships so i can get gear to anybody that needs it but i'm also able to show up and with a complete rig now instead of like saying hey call me and i'll send you everything and good luck building it and i hope it works You'll call me. He's like, Hey, here's what I need. And I'm like, okay, here's your solution. I'll build it. I'll come out. I'll train your crew how to use it. And then right. I'll troubleshoot it down the road. But it's like, it's kind of terrifying now to think what I used to put my clients through of like, Hey, I'm going to send you, you know, a hundred boxes of gear. I hope you can put it together. <laughs> and it's at a certain level it, that stops and you right. have to be able to support it. And that's kind of where neat is. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, I mean, we're all over the place. We'll do, <laughs> we'll do whatever the client needs, but uh, playback rigs, tour automation, wireless yeah. packages, stuff that touring groups need to kind of live and maintain. Well, that, that's, that's awesome. Um, do you have, g going back for a second, do you, were there any main influences that really uh, contributed to your inspiration in the early years? And it could be musicians or, uh, 
sh- live shows that you saw that were just knockout amazing? Yeah, I mean, I think it always travels back to the energy, the emotion, the dopamine of <laughs> volume and bass in your chest, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, we always loved going to my uncle's house because he had all the subs, right? And right. he had the big format systems. So my dad and my, you know, my whole family, really, we started going out and seeing shows when we were kids. And, you know, that moment when the lights go out and the sound hits you and it's like that rush is it's been a high I've chased my entire life. Um, so when I was able to find the link to connect my professional life to my personal interest of that moment, there is nothing, you know, there's, there's a lot of moments in my life, like, you know, having kids, getting married, all that stuff. But I'll never forget. There was a show that I had to build a time code into a playback session, literally like an hour before the show happened. And it was, like my time code triggers the lighting console at, at front of house. So we had a video that was brought in my time code and the playback track triggers that video to start. We didn't get to do a test drive of it. We just put it in the rig and we just hope it worked. Right. And I'll never forget. We were sitting in an arena in Columbus, Ohio in front of 20,000 people lights go out baseline rips and my videos on the screen and everything's working. And I'm like, <laughs> we, we just connected those two moments, the, the start of the show and the energy of live touring and, you know, live performance and the work that I did to make it all happen. Yeah. And what, regardless of how small of a hand that might've been in that process, that told me I was doing the right thing. My right. wife saw like the look in my eyes and saw the work come together. And she's like, you, you go and do this. And she was 100% supportive. I mean, we've got a family, we've got two kids and she is totally cool with me being gone, doing what I have to do to make it work. Cause she knows what that does for me. And like, you know, yeah. how much joy that brings me and everybody who's, I guess, in that show and that, in that moment. But, uh, yeah, my inspirations was truly kind of, I, I kind of always like laugh and tell my dad is like, you're stupid stereo. You know, I just love bass. I love the energy. I love the crowd. I love the environment. I love loud music. And I was able to find a, a passion that connected it all. What, so, yeah. um, you know, working with some of these big names and we could just talk a little bit about, you know, I, these are huge names in this day and age, Post Malone, sure. NF. 21 pilots uh i don't even know where to start with asking you questions i don't want to bombard you with questions no you're fine go ahead um but i mean just just a little bit of like description as far as what what that's like and uh if you've met them personally i I know you met 21 pilots personally but some of the other guys uh yeah i mean i just you know i've got a couple of stories or yeah so i mean it's weird in the touring market, you know, when I got involved, there was a lot of people that I met and I'm like, Hey, what's it like to work with this artist? And some of them are like, I don't care. Like some of, some of the people that I meet out on the road, they're like, I don't even want to meet them. They don't want to meet their boss. They just want to do their job. Right. And, and go right. Get the invoice. Yeah. They just want to do their job and get through it and uh, be done with it. Right. And for me, I'm just like, I don't know. It's not that I'm like, there's no starstruck element of it, but it's like, look, that guy, he's the one that writes the music that gets us all here. Like, what's his home studio like? I mean, my gears are spinning in a totally right. different direction. Like, I want right. to nerd out with these people because the funniest thing is, like, a lot of these artists, you look at the process. And that's, like, it's just the way I think. Um, I want to know, like, when I listen to an album, 
how was that album created and like what what was that guy going through what was Twilight Pilots, Post Malone, or you know any any of my clients that you know I've worked with, like what does this environment look like for them? And then subjectively, like internally, I want to be like, how can I make it better? You know, how can I change right. that or whatever? Right. Um, but I have found working with artists uh, of any caliber that they're just very interesting people. Uh, there's not a lot of like boring musicians that I've met. <laughs> and it's not like this. It's not like the lifestyle that I think we're all like, you know we grew up seeing like the Eddie Van Halen's and the Axl Roses and stuff like that. Right. That I think that lifestyle is gone. I haven't, I have yet to run into a band that's like the, the party that, you know, I think we all grew up thinking, right. You know, <laughs> music industry was, but more or less what I find joy and value. in if, if, if a artist will let me into their life, creatively speaking, you know, just talking about gear and talking about their process. Um, what I love to do is like, see how they write in once again, can I get involved in that? And somehow right. uh, personal examples. So Tyler Joseph sure. from 21 pilots, Josh Dunn, the drummer, they both have home studios and you know, there are some bands that will not record at home. They have to go out to the studio because it separates them from their home life to put them in work mode. Um, like I've, I've met Nate from NF. I don't personally know him, but I have been told that he, does not work at home. He works with a producer. He works in a studio and he's wrote, maybe I'm wrong. And that it's just like what I've been told, but like, with like Tyler from swimming pilots, he, he hit me up at the end of, uh, I don't know. It was like right around the end of blurry face, you know, massive album. He's like, Hey, you know, I've been on the road for three, two, three years, whatever. He's like, I don't want to spend the next year in someone else's studio writing an album. I want to be home. Uh, mm. so the fun store, the fun part of that for me was he let me into his, his creative life. I could see how he could record. I could figure out how much he knows about gear and how he utilizes gear. That way I was able to get, you know, in the, in the dirt with him to say, here's what we can do to take you to the next level, but preserve the process. Right. Um, Jack Atma from bleachers. who's if you're not familiar with him, Google him cause he was, he's been in the band, fun uh he's in bleachers i mean but the most important like uh, i think the not important but the coolest aspect is how many songs he's wrote and helped produce i mean he's done taylor swift lana del rey i mean the list is ridiculous but he made a he made a comment once that i like literally will always hold on to he's like preserve your process he's like no matter where you go in the music industry whether you're like at the ground level just playing in someone's basement all the way up to selling arenas. He's like, you think that it, it scales like, okay, and this is how I do it now. And this is how I do it now. He's like something that I internally try to focus on is never change the process. He's like, write a song as a superstar at the A level, the same way you wrote a song in the beginning that made you who you are in the garage. Um, yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah. you were creative then keep that going. And right. like, it's interesting. There are artists that I, I'm excited to see perfect example, Billie Eilish, her entire last album was recorded in her brother's studio in his house. Yeah. That album is massive. Yeah. Now that she has so much, um, clout behind her and so much interest, will the label, will she record the next album the same way? Or will she go to a major studio with a bunch of producers, writers, who knows, but you can start, if you follow an artist long enough, you can either see them, you know, change over the years because the process changes, you know, right. was the creative element different for them? Because that is 
part of their core. You know, no one is like, um, no one flips a switch and says, I'm going to be a producer. It's something that, or, or you know, like a, an artist. That artistry is in their soul and, and in their core. It's, it just takes, I guess, time for them to figure out how to put it to paper, how to get it into a song. But I think we all start the same. You know, you get a little interface in your bedroom and you start recording and it goes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, these major artists, I'm sorry, I, I'm going way off. No, it's, I'm, it's great stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. These major artists, I always just want to be like, Hey, what's your process? Like, like, tell me, like, how do you, how do you get here? You know, did you go out to major studios? Did you do everything at home? Do you write on the road? You know, uh, and it, it's kind of fun. Uh, a couple of my artists, I've had the privilege to just sit and watch them work. And they'll pull out a cell phone that has a memos app. That's just pages of like 30 second blips. Um, and for someone who doesn't Thousands. write, like, yeah, it's, it's, dude, it's, it, it's bad, but it's, that's literally how I see so many of these artists work. I mean, we'll be yeah. walking down the sidewalk and they'll pull their phone out and start singing into it. Right. Completely oblivious of the world around them. And they're like, okay, cool. Put it in their phone. We keep yeah. going. And I'm like, and I'm like, do I talk? And I was like, do I like, what was that? <laughs> you know, like, no, it's just an idea. Yeah. Um, I'm a musician, but I'm not a writer. I don't like write my own music. Haven't got there yet. But um, that, that part of their artistry kind of like still impresses me. But I, I, sorry, yeah, that, and it, it's crazy because it, my, you know, and I think a lot of people would agree that are wired like I am. You can't turn it off. So yeah. it's, you got to get it while, when it, when it's there, it's like, I got to get it down now. I, I could forget it if I don't get yeah. it down now. And even if it's that 20 second bit or that 10 second bit, um, it, it could turn into something. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, yeah, I've got a hundred stories of working with these artists, but I think my interest and my takeaway with them is like, you know, what, then they probably don't even notice that that's what I'm probably trying to focus on when I talk to them. But I'm like, Hey, you know, obviously I'm interested in you as a person, but as, as well, we're here to talk about music. How do you, how, how do you work? And right. uh, that's, that's still fascinating to me. Uh, and that's something that I still kind of like focus on when I'm interacting with my clients. So, yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about entrepreneurship then. Um, even though you've pretty much covered it with, kind of the business model that you created, but uh, I'll kind of merge it with two, two bullet points, entrepreneurship and dealing with the pressures of the industry, uh, especially in your field where, and you know how it is, hurry up and wait. Uh, you're always going to get blamed for everything that goes wrong, even if you weren't <laughs> even like there remotely at the time when it went wrong or touched that part of the chain or the system. So just dealing with that and uh, yeah, just the, the grind, so to speak. And the, sure, yeah. the pressure. It was, it was a total transition for me. I came from a world where I had to worry about my clients and sales and that was it. Um, you know, I had a shipping department, I had a marketing department, I had human resources, I had a cafeteria, I had a gym, I had everything. It, <laughs> I mean, it was the, if you've never been to Sweetwater, it's literally the coolest complex in the world. Yeah, I've heard. But I had, I had everything at my disposal. And then I leave and I create Neat. And I will never forget the first day 
Um, it was a wild day, by the way. Um, when we decided to do knee, I decided I had to move. I had, I had bought a house in 2010. Um, love that house, but my studio slash office was right outside of my kids' bedrooms. And, uh, so we were like, we got to move. I got to, I got to get a bigger house, more space, and I need a house with an office. So the same day I put in my two weeks notice at Sweetwater was the same day I moved into this house. Um, anyway, I work, you know, I finish out the two weeks at Sweetwater and I wake up the next morning, my first day, I guess at neat. And I was standing in the kitchen, staring out my kitchen window, just like, shit, what am I, <laughs> what do I do today? And, uh, dude, it killed me. I can't, I come from an incredibly regimented, like, nine to five. I know exactly right. what I'm doing from nine to five. Now right. it's like, you know, for a long time, I was like, what do I do? Um, right. and I was calling, uh, my investors, I was calling a couple other, you know, business owners. I'm like, this is driving me nuts. I hate this. And they're like, no, <laughs> trust me. It's like, like go, go golfing. Just it, it'll, it'll work itself out. Wow. And then within, within two weeks I left and I went on tour for a month, uh, just right. doing playback stuff. Um, then I came back and I'm like, okay, we're back to life um, as normal. I'm like, how do I drive this business? Because it's not something that I've had to like focus on. My referral network was so large at Sweetwater, I wasn't actively pursuing clients. I would just get a text, hey, TJ, this is blah from this band. He needs this. Hook him up and off to the races. Boom. And it, that was every single day for, you know, five, six years. Um and a lot of those clients, you know, followed me over to meet and we're still talking daily, but it was like, what do I do in my downtime now? Cause I don't have the metrics of my previous life behind me. Um, and it, it just took, I mean, it felt like a month, uh, of just like kind of like sitting with my hands in my pockets and not really sure what to do. Um, but I had to put on a marketing hat. I had to put on, you know, all of the hats that I didn't have to wear in my previous life to say, we have to grow this. So we took the social media, we took the, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and now we're like starting to do like Google ads and sponsored things. Cause the, you know, I know I'm capable of doing the work. You could be a band uh, playing in front of your parents for fun, or you could be selling out the next stadium. I am confident that I can work with everyone in between. Um, but we just need to find who we're going to work right. with and how. Right. So uh, the music industry is all word of mouth. It's all word like referrals. I there's there's not a like put your diploma here and we'll call you. You know it's uh, you know it's like hey we need a playback guy. Someone on the crew raises their hands like ah TJ for me call him. Boom that's how I get a gig. Um, so I think like the entrepreneur like business driver you know the change of climate for me is just trying to stay constantly busy. And then, you know, Corona happens and <laughs> completely derails literally everything. Uh, so then we just adapted. We're like, okay, we're going back yep. to building recording studios and we're, we're then going to talk to our touring clients that are now home. It's like, Hey, you you need two things. You need gear to record with and let me talk to you about your process so I can make sure that you get what you need. Yep. And on the second side of that, Hey, did you know that we can take all your recording equipment and plug you into a live stream? That way you can still have FaceTime with your audiences while we're all at home. Right. That's right. the transition we're in right now. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, it's, it, like I said, it was so slow a couple of weeks ago, but it's starting to pick back up and starting to feel a lot better. 
Do you have any favorite records? Oof. And yeah, if so, so uh, which ones? Uh, so I grew up on Tears for Fears and Pink Floyd. <laughs> uh, so that is a weird, like, transition, yeah. if you will. Um, that was probably, I mean, when Pulse came out in 94. Uh, Both bass-heavy, uh, you know. Yeah, Groove City, man. I'm like yeah. pop rock. Uh, my dad was big into, I mean, you know, Sticks, Ario, Speedwagon, <laughs> funk for days. I mean, big funk guy. Uh, so, yeah, I grew up in the classic, you know, rock and roll era, but it's weird. If you're not a Tears for Fears fan, then it might, you know, you probably know Shout and everybody wants to rule the world. But right. if you want to, like, if you want to know, like, where, like, my foot starts tapping, there's a song called Bad Man Song from Tears for Fears, and it is all over the place it was like classic rock but still has like funk elements in it it's all over the place um yeah i mean pulse the live album from pink floyd uh i have you know i'm a cd guy but if it was a record i would have i would have burned it out playing it a hundred yeah. times over um and then everything from tears to fears was kind of like my go-to i just lived on that and then I got into uh, like the emo stage of things, him and CK, uh, you know, I was a skate, I was a skateboarder when I was a kid. So Bam Margera and the Jackass guys, they had, um, there was a band that followed them around called him and CKY, Rasmus, those kind of like bands. Um, I'm trying to think of like albums. Uh, unfortunately I was like the Napster generation. So I always had MP3 <laughs> players with thousands of songs. So I wasn't like. Lars Ulrich is stroking out somewhere right now. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's funny. Uh, see, I wasn't like popping a CD in or carrying around my cassette. I just plugged my, you know, I had the first iPod when it came out, just plug that in my CD player and go. So like my head doesn't think of like albums per se, more or less than just like genres and time periods of my life. Right. Probably not what you wanted to hear, but yeah, it's uh, I'm unfortunate. No, no, but, it's, you know, I, I, I try to throw that one in there for anybody <laughs> who's on the yeah. show, you know, in the music industry. Um, best and worst gig experiences for you. If you have one of each, as far as, uh, like a just cloud nine, and I'm sure you've had a lot of those and then yeah. it's like a total horror <laughs> nightmare show and you don't need to throw any names out there, but just curious. sure. I mean, for me right now, a lot of my, like, Great. And I mean, my, my best experience was, you know, getting the ability to go play Red Rocks uh, oh, wow. in, in Denver. And my wife and I, we flew out to Denver. We were with a band that played two nights and we stayed, uh, you know, we got in the night prior. We woke up first thing in the morning um, and we watched the whole load in, but the, that venue is amazing just because the scenery is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Red rocks right. is, you know, it's great, but the uh, history of that building is amazing too. And everything backstage is underground in like the cave, if you will, the rock. And, uh, the way that you get from backstage to front of house is through this tunnel. And, uh, if you play there as an artist or crew member, you get to sign the wall. So, Oh, cool. Uh, you know, that was really cool. I've also done Madison square garden in New York um, 
that's also just a highlight. Like right. every artist, when you get to play MSG is just like, we made it, you know, yeah. it's like a moment for them. So it was cool to be with my client at the time when that happened. But that also ties into like one of the worst experiences uh, for me, you know, I've got six years of previous uh, life and then I'm fresh into the two years of neat. Right. Uh, but when I used to travel, it was always on weekends. So I would always book trips that I could get in and out of quickly. Uh, Madison square garden. I was there for three days, but when we left, I had seven plane cancellations and I was stuck, um, in New York with at the time my pregnant wife in a New York airport for three days. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, realistically, I don't have a ton of negative experiences, uh, but when I got, that one, Oh God. I got stuck in an airport for three days and I'll just never forget, like, am I ever going to get home? And, uh, like I said, we found out my wife was pregnant. So the drama element of that was, right. you know, significantly higher than it probably should have been at the time, but it was, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, the, like I said, the best experience is just like the coolest places I've been able to go and see my work come alive. And then the worst experience is just when I get stuck and can't leave. <laughs> Uh, the arenas real quick Yeah. as far like clubs versus arenas and the, just the sound in general, anybody, anybody who's awake, anybody who's aware, you don't have to be a musician. It's like, Oh, well it's, it's much more challenging in a large room. Um, just your, maybe perhaps some of your thoughts on, uh, I don't know how, how bands could prepare for that, you know, dealing with the latency, perhaps dealing with, the just the, the everything is just different from a yeah, large stage um, to a smaller i just say the execution like it's fun when you get to the arena level um transitions are huge uh, right. how do you get from how do you get from one song to the next and command a space um it's weird i always look at artists and um you know, in the downtime, because like when you get to an arena show, if you've ever been to one, they're typically theatrical. I mean, you're putting on a music show, but you're also putting on this visual element. And because it's so large, you're trying to not just like be five guys or whatever, standing on a stage, standing still, there's a lot of movement. Right. Um, so things that I always say, A, you have to have the gear to make it work. Uh, wireless in your packages. You can't take the wireless that you played at, you know, your church, your garage and bar, and then throw it in front of 30,000 people and think that everything is going to work well. Um, That has been one of the biggest growing pains that I see my clients go through is we'll take a band that's played in front of 5,000 people. And then all of a sudden they get an opening slot for a band playing in front of 20,000 people. And then we just, I mean, it's just massive, the space that you put in between your gear, right? So now you have to have a wireless rig that's going to be able to hold up that kind of distance and signal strength. And also, arenas don't exist in small towns. They're always in bigger cities, right? Um, As a result, you're combating a lot more frequencies. Uh, So if you don't have the frequency spectrum or a wide enough selection of open frequencies, your gear is going to be fighting radio stations, TV stations, other venues, other bands, bars, everything around. Um, So yeah, if you're a band that you think you're going to get there, um, 
once again, what I already said, buy for today, plan for tomorrow. Right. If you buy the cheapest wireless series and you think you're going to go, you're going to be buying another wireless series. Uh, I, it sucks as a sales guy to say this to people, but you buy nice or you buy twice. Um, but that to say that, you know, the cheaper gear, it, it's, it's all about scalability. Is it going to grow with you? Right. Um, the other thing is like transitions. Um, so there was a tour that I was out on. We spent a month in rehearsals, uh, three weeks. I for per- <laughs> huh? I, well, I believe it because being from the musical theater world when I was younger, yeah, you do two weeks of tech rehearsals. It was, you know, yeah. mind numbing. Yeah, this particular arena tour, like I said, it was a month long, three weeks. You know, it was like two weeks lighting, uh, getting all the lighting and yeah. everything figured out, programming and trimming. Um, one week for audio, basically, where the audio guys were just setting their new PA, testing it, running through everything. And then the last week was just purely the artist on stage running through the show. I'm talking 12 hour days of running through this same show over and over and over again, because how do you get from one, you know, one part of the stage to the next and time it out. Right. Um, you know, shows that I've been to where I'm amazed, uh, that I haven't had a chance to see like the tech rehearsals for like Justin Timberlake and Ariana Grande are two that have massive stages that have a ton of like moving parts and a lot of crew on stage. And they are always every night at the same place at the same time, moving around that comes with cues in your ears where they're telling, you know, Justin, okay, stage left, stage, right, you know, upstage, downstage, go here, go there. And the dancers are all getting cues in their ears, but to execute it, to see it go off and done well, uh, just takes time. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, what I experience in the music industry is everything is almost last second. I'll get a phone call. It's like, Hey man, we need a playback rig for this upcoming tour. Like, cool. When do you need it? We're like, well, you know, tomorrow would be great. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, okay, um, think ahead, you know? Right. And that's, we're probably going to get there, but that's like a, that's part of like what I am telling my clients now as like, we have never had this much free time in our entire life. Take this as an opportunity to think about, Make a five-year plan. Say, hey, here's what I want to do when this all opens up. Here's where I want to be next year. Do you have the gear to make it work? Do you know how you want to make it work? Start having those conversations because, I mean, it's just, it's a conversation and we all have time for it. Right, right. Well, yeah, and, and, and we, yeah we can definitely go there. Uh, it's one of the last bullet points I've got, which is just future plans slash COVID. Um, yeah. And I've asked everybody this question and nobody really knows except for uh, the time and just the opportunity. And I personally, I had a choice to make of whether I was going to hold off on the show because I, I was, I was really into my multi camera angle and all that set up and HD cameras and everything. And it's like, yeah, but we don't know when this is going to lift off. Right. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to be in a room with somebody again. So this has been one of the biggest opportunities for the show is, is just having a bunch of great people on like yourself and everybody's sitting around. Everybody does want to talk or 99% of people want to talk, which is cool. Um, yeah. So that, that trend I've seen it in, in my own sphere for you 
as you've alluded to earlier, what for you, what do you, what do you think the future plans are as far as uh, what's coming up next? Right now it's a knee jerk reaction. Um, I mean, the last you know, four weeks for me have been walking clients through like, Hey, uh, you know, it's, I get a phone call. Hey man, I'm bored. I'm thinking about writing at home. Uh, help me out. You know, cause like Nashville, there, there were pretty strict rules. There was a band that I was working with that like has to stagger their parking across like parking lots and streets. So they don't realize that they're all getting together in a studio. Wow. wow. <laughs> so they're making it happen, but there's a lot of bands that I work with where, you know, the singers and, you know, North Carolina, the drummers in Florida, whatever is in California. Um, and they're like, but we're all home and we want to record. So they all called me and they're like, how do we, what kind of equipment can we all get to make a studio experience for us? Yeah. Um, so just walking fly, in, fly stuff. Yeah. Just fly yeah it's like, just, internet. yep. It's like record it, send it, yep. you know, and they're piggybacking, bouncing off of each other so they can get their studio stuff to work. So there's a lot of hand holding in that. Um, once again, just walking my clients through like, here's the, here's the gear you need. Here's how we can implement it. Um, from the playback side of things, it's all, um, you know, you take that same guy that the artist that can't tour anymore. And they're like, Hey, we want to talk about studio stuff. I just always shoot it in there. I'm like, Hey, you know, we have no idea when this is going to happen, but when it's done, do you have any idea what your game plan is going to be? Like, are you, you know, are you going to try to go out and tour again? If so, where are you at on that? You know, let's have the conversation now because I think the, the problem that I think is going to happen is nobody knows when it's going to end. Right. And when they decide to open the gates, nobody knows what it's going to be like. Are they going right. to say free, free for all, everybody go out, do what you want. Or from like a public event, like a touring standpoint, are they going to have hundred cap rooms only or 500 cap rooms? Nobody knows. My whole point is as an artist, you don't want to, you know, wait till that moment and then react. You right. want to have whatever you think you want to do, start planning on it now. That way, when this gate opens, you're ready to hit the ground running. Right. You know, the, the last thing you want to do as an artist is like, I think I'm going to just wait and see what happens because everyone is so eager to get back out and tour that, I mean, the touring industry is at a complete halt right now, but when it opens up, we will be busier than we have ever been before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if there's a message to my artists and if there's like things that I'm thinking of is like, how can I, how can I be prepared for the massive influx of interest that touring will have when this is all said and done? Um, so we're building rental rigs. I've got playback rigs just sitting in, you know, my studio just waiting for someone to call and say, Hey, we're going to go on the road. I need a rig tomorrow. So, you know, it's in the office. Um, so that's happening. But in between helping my, my studio guys out doing, you know, preparing for the touring to come back out. Um, but yeah, one plug exhale creative. If you haven't heard of him, check him out. DJ Lipscomb is the brains behind that company. He is a streaming guy um, who, you know, he, well, he's a content creator. I'm sorry. He's more like a video director. He's done a lot of content for, you know, Rupert Neve, SE Electronics. The list goes on and on. But what he's doing is he's helping me work with the video side of a streaming platform. You've got a 
you know, recording studio full of gear, how can I take that gear and then put it into a digital platform to help stream in front of live artists? Right. So Exhale Creative and Neat have came together in the past month and we're helping artists like figure out how to make that happen because, you know, sitting and doing nothing is, I, I think it's terrifying. Uh, I'm sure as an artist, you know, who's used to performing every night, it's, it's gotta be a completely different feeling than what I'm having, but uh, it's really easy to stream and we're just here to help. So, yeah. uh, sorry, I just completely swiped my mic off my desk. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's gonna be fun. <laughs> that, that blooper reel. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's something that we've been working on too. And that's kind of like, I think our future is just, we have no idea how long we're going to be in on this. So just trying to help with streaming, help with studios and get ready for touring again. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's just, it, your story is so unique. It's really cool. Uh, I, we didn't talk about lighting to a certain degree uh, before we start kind of wrapping up. Just, I don't know, a couple of thoughts on, on lighting and, Man, does it make a difference? Oh, huge. I mean, I honestly, like, there was a couple shows that I went to that completely changed my opinion on uh, the effectiveness of lighting. Because, you know, growing up, I'm used to seeing, you know, rock bands that didn't really have, like, crazy lighting. I think part of my love affair when I was a kid with Pink Floyd was the visual side of it. I'm like, wow, this really brings out, you know, an element of performance. but I started seeing bands that I could look at and I would say, okay, let's take all the production value away. Is this still entertaining? Right. And there, there are bands that I have seen that I could say, no, like this would be really awkward right? without everything else going on behind it. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, there are artists that look at their lighting director or their lighting rig as the other member of the band, because it's all about this like performance in this show that you're putting on. Right. Um, so yeah, like personally in my world, I don't do a ton of like lighting implementation just because like at a certain level, it is so intensive that you know, oh. for me being an audio guy, I just, my, yeah. you know, my world will control lighting. Um, what I mean by that is simply time code. Triggering. I can send that. Yeah. I can trigger Automation. content. Yeah. Yep. And, yep. and that's fine. So I work with a lot of LDs in making sure that a band says, okay, Hey, here's our playback rig. Here's our backing tracks. We need it to communicate with LDs world. So what I'll do is I'll sit with them and we'll program the time code tracks into their playback tracks to make sure that it's all synced and, and ready. And that gets us into rehearsals because I mean, with larger scale productions, that's like a big chunk of rehearsals is letting the lighting director go through the show and make sure all the cue points are on, on, you know, at the right spot. Right. Um, so that's, that's kind of the only involvement that I have nowadays with the lighting world is my playback tracks and my time code will help assist triggering and setting the show off. But yeah, I mean, lighting is massive and I can't, oh, so massive. The automation, I, Red Hot Chili Peppers two years ago, it was two years ago, um, 
they have a kinetic lighting system where the entire ceiling of the arena is yeah. like moving lights. Uh, Glow Motion is an amazing company. If you haven't, well, you've probably seen, if you've seen any Super Bowl event, I think for the last three or four years. Well, I, I saw the Chili Peppers on not that tour, but they, I, I think it was back in like 2011. And they yeah. were, I think they were using it then. Yeah. It's, it was I, insane, I had, man. I had not seen a show with a kinetic system before. I had seen the Red Hot Chili Pepper show, and I'm like, man, this, like, I'm not even looking at the band half the time. You know, I'm looking know. at everything moving on around me. Maybe that's like, they're a bunch of old guys now. Maybe they're just like, hey, look at the lights. <laughs> we'll play, but look at the lights. Uh, until the, until the uh, socks on the cocks. <laughs> <laughs> but even uh, then, it's like, you know, it's so far away. It's <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the lighting element. Like I said, I've seen shows and I'm like, I left and I'm like, man, the production of this was so fascinating. Like, did I leave focusing on the music or did I'm, I'm analytical when it comes to shows, but right. I've definitely left shows where I'll remember the visual side of it more than I remember the audio. But uh, yeah, dude, it's, it's massive. I wish I knew more about lighting um, and how their whole world works. Uh, but it's like, that's their world. <laughs> Have at it. <laughs> well, um, as we kind of wrap up, I've got a, a fun little thing I like doing at the end where sure. it's, uh, I, I call it like the popcorn round or the shootout, which is, uh, I'll just say a word that's industry related to your, yeah. to your niche in the business. And, uh, you just fire back a word or a phrase that like just first comes to mind. It's a judgment free zone. No right or wrong answers. Just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, you go for it. Um, audio oh technology <laughs> sorry it's good no it's good uh live concerts i'm uh, that's like elementary i'm sorry no it's good now again no no right or wrong <laughs> studio studio monitors oh yeah speakers yamahas that's yeah, not, HSA's I'm just, baby. I'm just saying it. That's not, that's not, you know, that's too, bi <laughs> that's too biased. Uh, vocal mic. Lawton. What was that? Lawton. Never it's heard of it. Oh, check them out, man. Lawton Audio is a fantastic mic manufacturer. Yeah. I was just talking to somebody about him. So, sorry. Hey, no, man. no, that's, that's cool. Um, drums. Ooh. Rolling TD50. Yeah. Yeah, you're rolling guy, right? Yeah, the 11Ks. Yeah. 11KV. When I use yep. them. Uh, I'm an electric them, guy. Yeah, I use them on um, – I use them to trigger Slate. Yeah. Which you set me up with years ago, which is right. great. <laughs> uh, haven't, used, haven't used that system in a couple of years, but I've been doing a lot of acoustic real – stuff with a bunch of mics which is fun but uh oh yeah Dude, you that's, know that's a, great either way because the main reason why i got the electric was because i was in new york and i had to just crank stuff out and you know it's new york everybody's living on top of each other right. um bass Ooh, fender p bass somebody else said p bass like earlier this week it's, it's like getting thrown around a lot it's cool <laughs> 
Um, I, I'm an Ernie Ball guy. I, I like the Stingray. Oh, dude, they are amazing. I absolutely. I was talking to somebody about that the other day. He's a P base guy. He's like, hey, I keep getting told to check out Ernie Ball. I'm like, it's a heightened playing experience. I think the only thing that's working against them is they just kind of look a little goofy. Um, really? Yeah. You don't like, 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 like the look of them? I think they look amazing. It's so weird. Look- I've heard that before from somebody. I think they look amazing and they sound fantastic and they play. Oh my God. Their roasted maple necks that they have in those are just ridiculous. But as a bass player, you know, my first guitar was the last Paul custom because that's what I grew up seeing people play. Right. If you're a bass player, you've seen jazz basses and P basses in everyone's hands. Cause it's kind of like the standard. Right. right. Um, and then Ernie balls like, wham, like this is a different look. It's really cool, but it's really different. You know? Oh, I think it looks so cool with those giant ass tuning pegs, and it's like, you know, uh, <laughs> I'll take, a, take I'll take. A, did I did I ever show you the the one that I got? Um, where my parents basically gave me it wasn't like an ultimatum, but they said, "Well, you're turning 16. We're you, you, we're giving you one gift, and it's either your first down payment on a car, like a used car, or we'll get you an Ernie Ball bass." So I was like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm definitely no. getting the bass." done <laughs> yeah so and it's okay. been it's been with me since that's a, a decade now um that's awesome maple neck too i'll, I'll take a picture of it for you yeah it's dude it's so oh it's so nasty uh electric guitar oh fender and i say that i just got it dude you know, i thought you I, were gonna I, say prs because you man your prs like porn shots yeah, well, Dude, well this is not looking that good, but uh, I just got, I just got a new Strat. Um, sorry, it's on this side. Rosewood neck. It's probably not going to be all that clear, but um, here, hold so, on. Let me, uh, let me, let me uh, make. Okay, you're full screen now. Yeah. Um. So I, it's a Fender Mod Shop, and God. I never thought, I never thought that I would get a guitar with Rosewood. Every single one of my, yeah. 20, I'm sorry, 20 guitars is um, maple necks. And my favorite neck wood is bird's eye maple. I like that really dry, yeah. fast maple. But I don't remember what model it was. Um, there was an all rosewood Telecaster that came out several years ago. It was like $9,000. Sweetwater had one. And I played it and I'm like, man, this rosewood neck feels so good. Uh, like two months ago, my buddy from Fender turns me on to Mod Shop, which is you can completely customize a guitar and it doesn't cost significantly more. Um, but Rosewood neck and fingerboard was an option and mm. it wasn't like an upcharge. I'm like, I have to have it. So anywho, yeah, I just, I just got that guitar and I just bought a Fender Princeton amp and I'm, I'm on cloud nine. I bet. I haven't, I haven't played this much in probably 10 years. I bet, <laughs> man. Uh, acoustics. Or Taylor. I'm a Taylor guy. Uh, yeah. You know, my, my dad and I, uh, he's got two Taylor 914s, and I tried for years to fall in love with Martin. I'm not a singer-songwriter, so, you know, I get it. If I'm in the studio and someone comes in with an H, HD28, um, love that guitar. But for me to sit and play sonically, I just, I don't know, uh, Gibson – songwriter uh deluxe is another acoustic that i absolutely love but 
Taylor nine series or eight series or even the three series. It's got a total I've got, balance I've got to a me. Three fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. Three fourteens are fantastic. A lot them. of lot of uh, lot of scoop in the mid range. I find on the Taylors, it's very very low end and uh, hot, which is not a bad thing. It's just a sound. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Maybe it's that player experience. Maybe that's something like, you know, a guitar that you just rip into a chord and it resonates to your body. Maybe it's that extra bass that is love so much. I don't know. But well, yeah. Martin's to me, my dad has a, uh, like a 1972, uh, D38 or something like that. That thing yeah. is loud, man. That thing's got, <laughs> it's just like, it's almost like, it's almost like it's, it's got this weird natural, low and high filter to it and it's just like mid-range like but, oh man it's it's incredible nice uh, but the fun. taylor is definitely more like low with kind of like a mid-range scoop and i've got this little epiphone hummingbird thing for like 400 bucks that thing's pretty cool yeah. and it plays so it <laughs> plays so well like the action's so low right uh anyway keys keys uh i'm not much of a keyboard player but i really love the Roland stuff i'm yeah. a Roland fanboy for sure um yeah, yeah Roland what rd2000 rd3000 maybe um no yeah Roland. yeah, yeah same <laughs> all right so we're gonna start getting into the the good shit let's um, go compression Ooh. okay yeah compressor or, or compressor and- uh, Neve, um, master bus compressor, that SFE at the end. Oh my God. Just ridiculous. Uh, you know, it's, it's mixed. Some people say they want a compressor that's, cl- uh, that's clean that just does its job. But you know, a lot of people obviously like you want a compressor of character and that red channel, blue channel and the saturation that you can get inside of the 50 or something. I'm not 50, 59 isn't it. Uh, that's the summing mixer. I can't remember what the model number is off the top of my head. The MBP, Master Bus Compressor. Yeah. My favorite. Yeah, those are like, that was one of my I, first compressors. I, I, am, I am such a character guy. It's yeah. It, it's not it, – it's ridiculous. Like, ba- basically, if it doesn't do anything, I don't want it. Yeah. Like, I literally don't even want to have anything to do with it. If it's not changing the sound and manipulating it to a certain degree, unless it's like a really – there's some reason why I can't have it on there. Like if it's, if it's going to really mess up a frequency range or bring out something that I don't want. Uh, Yeah. yeah. My favorite, you know, I guess for mixing sessions and stuff in general, you know, the Neve uh, tube tech CL one B is my go-to vocal chain, put a 1073 BAE 1073 or Neve vintage, whatever uh, into a tube tech CL one B. That is my favorite vocal chain. uh, If we're talking about, drum bus, uh, distressors or API 2,500. Yeah. Um, yeah. Run it. I, I've, I, uh, I've been doing the API 2,500 parallel, uh, for years and it's just amazing. Uh, well, I still have the same chain that you got me hooked on to the heritage 1073 <laughs> with the lunchbox. And I've got, um, my buddy gave me one of those Lewitt U47 clones. It's like the LCT 940. Right. Bro. Like bro money. <laughs> go, go, like going into the ten seventy three and I got one of those little um 
uh, Clark Technic, LHUA. <laughs> Hell like, yeah. dude, like, come on, man. For three, for 350 bucks, and it sounds like 98% of like an LA 2A, it's, it's, a, like, it's a joke. So, right. hitting a lot of tubes before Pro Tools, or I'll, I'll, I'll hit it in Pro Tools and just kind of like print it later, you know? Sure. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> it's a dangerous section for the two of us. Uh, <laughs> EQ. Uh, see, you know what? I've never. You're going to call me crazy. Maybe not. I, I've never really played around with hardware EQ, EQs a lot just because there they're can be so mechanical that I don't want to make absolute decisions right. until I have everything ready. So, right. unfortunately, I don't have, like, a favorite on that one because I never played around with them. I always used maybe plugins a, or software. Maybe a, maybe a console EQ or something. Oh, if you had to- um, like, let's Try just it. say, like, just a standard console EQ. Maybe there's a favorite brand that – I mean, for, for me, it would probably be the 1073. Yeah, in the EQ setting in the preamp section? Absolutely. I mean, and the 1073, you can buy the preamp module with the EQ behind it. Uh, I would never buy that preamp without the EQ section behind it just because of its tone shaping options. Right. There. But, yeah, like I said, I, I, I am very finicky when it comes to using EQs in like the tracking process right uh and like i said i don't do live mixing so i don't have like a favorite there either but, well uh, live is a whole other animal man there's like yeah. so much that you can't get away with it's right. very strange yep i'm um, trying to the back cq from dangerous i remember love playing with that thing uh but yeah not a ton of experience with hardware eqs to be honest delay delay Ooh. Uh, I think of Strymon. <laughs> uh, what is the Strymon timeline, right? That's their big delay pedal. Yeah. Uh, I know we're talking studio equipment. Um, but yeah, no, when I think of word of mouth and delay, I think of Strymon delays because they are just, oh my God, they're delicious. Love those. That's going to be my next guitar purchase is getting a Strymon delay pedal for my uh, Princeton. Reverb. Reverb, big sky, but I'm a spring reverb guy. Like I've got really? a 19, I've got a 1972 Fender Super Six, which is basically a master, Ooh. master volume Fender Twin, um, and then the Princeton that I've got, just all spring. I have not experimented a lot with, um, you know, external reverbs, just because that's kind of like spring reverb is the Fender spring reverb is just kind of like my favorite go to. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Saturation. Ooh. Uh, I just think of Neve. I just think of the red channel, blue channel. Um, what else? God, there's something else that I'm thinking of that I just can't off the top of my head regurgitate. Um, I think of saturation. The other thing I think of is analog summing, uh, dangerous D box, just that glue knob. I can't remember at the top of the head, but did you, did you ever stumble across, um, uh, one of the, what is it called? I, I have it in my rack over there and I don't even remember one of those. Uh, <laughs> it's like an M80. Uh, I want to say pre-Sonus M80. It came out like in the early 90s. Is, there, is it their channel like, strip? Uh, it's, a, it's a pre-rack. Oh, okay. Like a channel. Yeah. And it's weird because it's got a summing component to it like a summing left and right channel it's not like eight channels or something for summing it's eight channels for pre's 
but you throw it in there and it's like, what in the world, man? It really is a summing box. It's left and right, yeah. but it's definitely like doing something at, at the end. Yeah. I loved analog summing mixers and just, you know, that kind of equipment for studio yeah. it was huge for me because, you know, there's a lot of people who buy preamps, compressors, EQs, you know, you've got your doll and then you got your studio monitors, you've got your monitor controller and they'll do an entire production and they'll mix it. And then they're done and they're like, there's still, I just feel like there's something missing between me and what I get in a studio. It's like, well, let's say large format studio where you're running through a console. You know, the console is an analog summing, which is summing that down into a two track. Right. Or a lot of times you'll run through an analog summing box and that brings, it, it just glues the whole session together. It takes all of the little things that you're doing digitally and then analog putting them into one space. Right. And the results that I got out of that box, the dangerous D box, um, and then the new 5059, another favorite of mine was one of those pieces of equipment that I could, I could bring my wife in and be like, Hey, I got something and I toggle it on and off. I was like, can you hear the difference? And he's like, boom, there's something yeah. different about this one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. analog summing saturation. Cause like I said, the more yep. you push the gain on that glues and thickens it up. I, uh, I've personally in the last few years and I, I had the opportunity to intern at a really, really high end facility over on in my neck of the woods. Shout out to manifold recording. Um, API vision console, like, I mean, nice. just stupid $10 million plus facility. And after that experience being there for a year or so, um, I, what I start, I got more analog gear and I started printing my stems later on. I would make commitments after the tracking periods and basic tracking. And I noticed that that was a way to compromise for lack of like, having the board or lack of, you know, that. So it, it's, it's pretty, uh, yeah, there's gotta be some sort of analog in there in the mixing <laughs> process, not just the tracking process. It's like, no, we got to hit it again. We got to hit it. It's somehow we've yep. got to keep hitting it in stages. Right. No, that's huge. Distortion. Ooh. God. I think I'm, <laughs> I think of my Mesa 50 watt single of solo rectifier. It was like the, the sound of nineties grunge metal. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm a clean amp guy. So if I had a, for a short period of time, I actually traded it for my camper. Um, but yeah, I had a, a Mesa 50 watt solo rec and that thing, I, I had it in my loft at my old house and that thing would just, I'll blow the windows, man. That thing was ridiculous. But heavy distortion. Console. Oh, Neve. All Neve. Day. I mean, let's put it this way. A Neve 5088 would be my dream, but I'm also not going to – I would also love to work on an API too. I mean, those are like the two consoles that I just like, okay, are we tracking drums? Like, what are we looking for? Do we want the massive drums? Or are we looking for more of a transient-specific modern sound right. you know, API? Uh, yeah, I, I love the workflow of Neve consoles. I love how they sound. I love the saturation. Love the flavor. They just they just sound massive. I'm a I'm so. a Neve guy myself. Yep. Yeah. Um, I just noticed that all the all the great records that I love, it was like the same three to five producers, and eighty nine percent of the time it was on Neve, and it, and it was mixed on a Neve. Maybe it was right. mixed like 
stems were maybe mixed, like last mixing was done on SSL or something for automation. But, yeah. you know, Neve since 30 years ago have had automation or even yeah. longer than that. Um, arena. Ooh, Madison Square Garden. I mean, something about it. I don't know what yeah. it is. Probably just because you're in the middle of Manhattan and it feels insane. Uh, right. A lot of, a lot of, uh, this is a crazy experience there. But yeah, uh, MSG is my favorite arena. Uh, studio. Favorite studio. <laughs> you know what? One that I've never even been to, but Sound City, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just uh, mean to be a fly on, the, on that studio's yeah. walls at some point uh, would have been amazing. I'm sure you've seen the documentary. Um, I actually heard Dave Grohl selling that console. Uh, maybe he really has, but yeah, it's kind of bummed to see that. But um, I just think of like the stories that go down in studios in right. Sound City would have been, that would have been an amazing one to be in. Um, last one for you. Sure. So, it's, it's a difficult one. Oh. Pizza. Ooh. Okay. Um, Luminati's in Chicago or Dave's <laughs> in Manhattan. Uh, is it, I, is I it know. sounds like it's deep dish or something. It sounds like it's. Yeah. Is it lasagna? <laughs> is it pizza? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> dude, I didn't, I, I've been to Manhattan, you know, for a week. I haven't spent a ton of time there. But New York pizza is like my favorite. I just don't know all the places. I think Dave's maybe. I'm trying to remember what the There's name so many. Like. I mean, you just throw a rock and yeah. it's like you're going to get great stuff. But pizza that I get all the time. I'm in Chicago a lot. So, uh, you know, it's Giordano's or Illuminati's. I'm more of a saucy guy. Uh, so Illuminati's wins, in my opinion. Giordano's is great if you get it really fresh and you're super into cheese. But, oh, man. I'm more of a sauce guy myself yeah, yeah. luminati's is like and i'm sure i'm missing something in chicago but every time i'm there i have to get some luminati's it's, it's a great pizza it's a good pie um how about uh, you i want to know your answer on that for pizza yeah um i mean i yeah i always i always think of like pepperoni you know it's a classic pepperoni yeah. even even sicilian like there, okay. if you get if you can get a really good Sicilian that's light but still, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> one last one last question for you. Absolutely, I, I, I ask everybody this, and and as we come to a close here, I want to thank you again for your time. This is great, man. Yeah, no worries. Thanks again for having me, man. It's been fun. And uh, we'll we'll make sure all of your information is in the description box below or to the sides we'll go over that in a second but uh if you could go back in time to your 15 year old self knowing what you know now what would you tell him uh man you know how many times i've heard that question been asked but i've never actually thought um i think i would have just told myself to, um I'm a dad, right? I've got two kids. And I think I would have told myself, it's something I stressed to my kids because I didn't take school serious at all. I didn't care, right? <laughs> like, t t take, take those years a little bit more seriously because it would have made, uh, you know, I could have got more scholarships than I had <laughs> in the student loan situation. Um, 
but no, I mean, I, my 15 year old self, man, you would have been terrified of, I can't believe my parents still loved me. I was an awful kid. Uh, <laughs> I was that, uh, you know, my brother always tells me, he's like, you were always standing two feet away from the edge of a cliff and you were, you didn't care, you know? And wow. I, I found purpose and it straightened me out and I've had a really good run at it and I've had fun. I've been lucky to be that guy that feels like he's never worked in a, a day in his life. Cause he's always had jobs that he loved. Right. Um, but if there was one regret, you know, one thing that I wish I would have went back and done the right way was just school and focused on that. Um, but beyond that, it sounds like such a privileged, like weak thing to say, <laughs> Um, but I'm kind of that guy that had his dreams come true. Right. And, um, I don't really know. Um, I think a lot of it had to do, well, two things real quick, if I can interject, number one, a lot of guys that are successful in business sucked at school. (laughs) It's just a fact. Number two, um, I, you just put the work in. And you're great yeah. with people. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's been fun, man. It's been it's been crazy past ten years, and the best part is I'm not tired of any of it yet. So I'm so excited to see like what what happens. Obviously, temporarily we're stuck in a bit of a funk right. here, but you know what, if there's any silver lining, it's this interview. It's the fact that we've been talking for almost ten years and we are finally face-to-face <laughs> yeah yeah um well hey man listen i really really enjoyed this uh let's go over your social media real quick again in the website we'll have it again in the description boxes and all that but audibly absolutely uh so neat audio llc is the website i'll be completely honest it's more of like a placeholder and a landing page if you google us it shows up um I just don't do a ton of stuff there because I, you know, we don't have a ton of clients that come to us through websites. Uh, but neat.audio is our Instagram handle. Um, and if you just searched neat audio in Facebook, it'll pop up as well. Just as a, as a little thing about neat that we never discussed, but yeah, NEAT stands, uh, neat stands for next era audio technologies. And you know, there's a really weird thing about Neat, and I've never told this story, so here we go. While we're at a first, I'll just pitch this out real quick. Neat was something I've been saying for probably, you know, six, seven years. And uh, I was going to bring this up <laughs> because it was always it was always on the phone calls. Yeah, it was like, neat. Yeah. Um, so at first, my love affair of the word came because it's kind of like a belittling word. If you were to tell me, it's like, TJ, you know, I just got this, and like my first reaction to you was Neat. Like, did I really tell you? do I think it's really cool? Or did I kind of just like leave you like, well, neat doesn't like, do you really think that's cool? Or it's like ambiguous? Yeah, it's ambiguous. Yeah. You're meeting yeah. someone in the middle. So like the word is fascinating. It's uh, another word that most people hate is moist. Perfect. Is it wet? No. Is it dry? No, it's moist. It's, it's that in between <laughs> word, but I loved it. So uh, I literally had so many people in my life saying neat because it's something that I would just beat to death. If you were to talk, I mean, when you and I talked, 
oh, you just might, start cracking up because it, yeah, you it, might hear me say it 10 times yeah. and it was in almost every single Facebook post that I made for, I mean, if I get on my history on my Facebook post and go through like, you know, 10 years ago, you posted this, it probably ends with me saying neat. Right. Um, so there was this guy at Sweetwater He's like, hey, man, you need to do something with this. So he made this stupid logo. That's right. That's right. And he put my face on it. And uh, this was like a sticker, but he gave me shirts. Dude, I got, I've got coffee mugs. (laughs) I have so much neat stuff. And what I would do was I looked at it as a marketing opportunity. I would show up, I would show up to a tour with 30 shirts and like, bam, 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 bam. My face was all over the place. Right. Um, and it's, it was so funny. Some people would like stop. It's like, Oh, neat. I know, how do you know that guy? And it was like in a touring community. Right. You know, I, I probably put a hundred shirts out in a, in a span of like six months. Well, when neat, the company was created, you know, the idea was pitched that we would, you know, my investors were like, we're going to create this uh, opportunity and we're going to do this, but what do we call it? And one guy, he looks at me, he's like, how about global audio logistics? Cause we're spitballing. I mean, we literally created this out of thin air and then we're just like trying to name it. Right. And I'm like global audio logistics, like gal. I'm like, I don't know. It might be something better. And he's like, yeah, do you have any ideas? And I literally on the back of the laptop I'm on right now, I have this big sticker on the bottom of my laptop and I'm like neat. And he's like, damn, you have yeah. been saying that for years. I mean, it was already like, like kind of like branded, right? Right. Um, so yeah, we just made me, and then um, it was amazing. We you know we send off uh, the idea, and a guy created uh, Brandon Reich, actually amazing graphics designer, amazing history with a band too. But he uh, he did all the logos for me. We created you know the company structure and more of a professional image. But it's funny, I'll still show up, and my friends will still wear my original like neat shirt, and I see these stickers on road cases, and I just laugh. Um, but then brilliant. Yeah, it's fun. And when I left Sweetwater, they're like, Hey, what are you going to go do? It's like, yeah, I'm leaving. Uh, I'm going to create my company called neat. And they're like, how long have you been planning this? I'm like, I swear this, like this literally just happened. But right. you know, it, when I left, it was the easiest transition to get my existing touring clients to realize who I was. They're like, Oh yeah, no neat makes sense. Cause it was just like such a part of my past life. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know. That was fun. That's good. Um, Any last words, my friend? Man, Jason, I just just want to thank you. It's so cool that the paths are crossing again for us. Um, Like I said, no one watching this understands our history. Um, (laughs) I feel like it's a high school reunion. Your history is – our history is still in that room, (laughs) and it's probably at five digits at this point. Right, man. We that was. I I I I always you know every time I'd I'd call you, it's just like yeah, my the the business bank account is in my personal (laughs) bank account. But any bank account that's attached to my name is just like going to be my cards are crying right now. It was so worth it. It was a good transition. I mean, you made a lot of moves quick, but uh, you did it. You did it right. Well, and and the Orion Thirty Two, fantastic choice. And I never thought that I would be loading up. I, I literally have every single external I and O filled. Yeah. 
it's so stupid. It's an addiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's bad. Like it's bad. Um. So anyway, I blame you for everything. No, that's great. I'm happy I could have helped with that one. <laughs> well, but, uh, this has been neat. Very neat, my friend. Uh. TJ Beachel, ladies and gentlemen, Neat Audio. This is the Jason Amico Show. Um, be sure to subscribe to the channel. Check out what they've got going for you over there as well in the description box below or to the sides. If you're on Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, Simplecast, any one of those platforms, YouTube is down below. And we will see you all on the next one. Boom. Thank you. Bye.